Hello and welcome to Let the Bird Fly, a podcast about living freely in a world given back to us. We are here in the studio to record a different kind of podcast. Wisconsin Lutheran College, like all universities, have suspended face-to-face education due to the spread of the coronavirus. Online education is the norm for a while, so Wade and I have decided to team up and record some audio for our students in lieu of classroom lectures. It's not ideal, but we think our discussions will be better than hastily made videos in which students have to look at our ugly mugs as we drone on without the benefit of a live audience. If you're not a student, we hope this will still be beneficial to you as well. And although it's not exactly a classroom experience with visuals and discussion, we hope that these episodes will give you an insight into the type of fun we have here at WLC. This will be a series on our podcast. We're going to call it uh, COVID-19 Online Learning. And uh, if you're a regular listener and you've subscribed to our feed, first of all, thank you. And don't unsubscribe us, even though we're going to be blasting you with a lot of classroom information here. If the topic doesn't interest you, that's fine. Just skip ahead. And, uh, um, and sorry, we do apologize for uh, uh, ha- having a lot of uh, in- uh, info and content coming your way. If you're a student, um, you're going to have these feeds from either Wade's class or, or my class. Look for a picture. So the picture for um, apologetics will be uh, a picture of St. Paul on Mars Hill. And, uh, and we'll also have the course number there. And uh, you just, you know, we'll, I'll give you email reminders, but these are the ones that you should listen in lieu of coming to a face-to-face lecture. We're going to do apologetics again. So this is Philosophy 202. We just finished, Wade and I just finished uh, the moral argument for the existence of God. And now we're going to move towards uh, some more aesthetics kind of things like uh, beauty and love, kind of a maybe more of a softer touch when it comes to apologetics, um, using reason and everything that we have had to defend the Christian faith, really to have a conversation with people who are not Christian. And hopefully the Holy Spirit, after we break down barriers, will do his work of giving people faith. So just maybe we'll start with aesthetics just just uh, uh, as a kind of proper way of looking at the word. What, what is aesthetics, Mike? Yeah, the etymology is uh, comes from like the perception of senses, so what I, I can mostly see, but also hear, and maybe even we can say feel. Philosophically, it's a, a theory or set of principles governing the idea of beauty at any given time or place. Now, what does beauty have to do with apologetics? I think in the same way, when we talk about can we have access to truth, or is there truth out there, beauty's in the same kind of boat. Uh, truth and beauty are uh, very similar. And in the ancient world, uh, beauty was seen as objective just as much as truth and morality would be. Uh, we don't think about it that way in our day and age. And so I, I usually start off the conversation with asking the students or, or whoever I'm speaking to about this. I would say, do you think beauty is in the eye of the beholder? And most people would say, yeah, I think so, you know. But then I ask them, <coughs> if that's true, think location. Where is the beauty located? If it's located in my eye as the seer, then it's not located in the object that I'm looking at. And then we have a problem saying, what is beauty then? Is it something that actually exists out there or is it just something in my mind? 
And notice how close we are to truth being in the mind of the thinker and not being objective that is out there. Now, of course, there's going to be differences of preference, right? So we're not talking about, oh, I like yellow and you like red. Um, What's a band you like, Mike? A band I like, you know, um, <clears throat> here's one that I've been listening to quite a bit. And uh, when I was in Ottawa visiting our friend Luke Thompson, um, he, uh, we were having drinks with he and his wife. Um, after uh, uh, some presentations and going out to dinner, and uh, he put on a record of Alabama Shakes. You know, a Alabama record Shakes? record, a record record. Huh? I've heard of them. I have to check them out. Uh, they're very nice. I think you would like them um, uh, very much. You know so, who I like? Um, they had a live concert yesterday. I watched it online as a reward for all, all the content we produced. What was that? Dropkick Murphys. Oh yeah, you do like them. You went to their yeah. You took the. It was a family outing to their cons, to that. Ziggy concert. got baptized in PVR. <laughs> oh, by the way. But what I'm saying is, maybe I'll listen to Alabama Shakes and not like them. Yeah. No. But that's okay. I'm gonna lose respect for you if you say you don't like Dropkick Murphys. <laughs> but let's say maybe you didn't. We can agree to disagree. Right. We're not saying that either of those is objective musical beauty. Right. Now, however, though, I don't really have the right to say, you're. Um, your sense of beauty with that music is wrong. Rather, I should be more open-minded to look at beauty rather than just having my clothes minded. So here's the kind of the argument goes like this. <clears throat> if um, I say this is beautiful and this is not beautiful, and then you come to me and say, no, beauty is objective. I may, I may say, no way, that's not true because... Who gets to say what is beautiful and what is not? And that's very exclusive. But you would rightfully say to me, actually, my position is the more inclusive one because I'm saying to you that there is beauty beyond just what you think or see as beautiful and you should open up your horizon. So I, did the, I do this little bit now um, <clears throat> where I say uh, my, my youngest daughter, uh, Sophia, doesn't like reading. So she comes home and she's got to read for a class. She's got to read a couple chapters in a book. And she says, I don't want to read. And then I, I try to get her to read. And I've used different uh, uh, avenues of argumentation for that. And um, they've been largely unsuccessful. But she'll say, it's boring. And I'll say, it's not boring. You're boring. And then I will explain to her that she doesn't have the right just to say something is boring or not for two you're, reasons. Uh, not to interrupt, Mike, but whatever you keep twisting there, you're messing up me being able to hear you in and my... I'm, I'm having trouble too, but I think we're good now. Okay. Okay. So I'll say, first of all, you should open up your horizons. Like there's some things that I think is boring. Uh, so I am not a Star Trek or Star Wars or any kind of sci-fi bores me to tears. But that's not because those things are not objectively interesting, beautiful, have something to say. The problem's on me. And for me, it, it should be a challenge to me to try hard and to see the beauty and the, uh, <clears throat> um, the interesting uh, aspects of sci-fi and space trilogies and all that kind of stuff. It's on me. So I say to my daughter, it's on you to open up your horizons and try hard. Maybe you don't prefer that. But it's on you. And then I'll say, I mean, you're kind of acting like God here by using your words to claim something as something else. You're saying... Do they roll their eyes at that point? Absolutely. When I say, if you say that's boring or that's ugly or that's beautiful, you're really playing kind of 
a divine you're, you're you're playing a divine role here by saying i claim this to be something else and so that actually ends up being the more exclusive position to have now after i do all that then i finally just threaten them because only the law works right and say i'm going to take your phone away until you reach is that minutes. what you go to first is phone i have to go to phone too it seems to be what they care about most yeah absolutely it's the only thing they care about sophia baby ice cream sometimes i say i'm going to make you hug your siblings and that works too but I'm not going to yeah. say that during this outbreak yeah. because I want them social distancing. Yeah, so you got to go with the phone. Would you be good? Then you can wipe down their phone and sanitize it anyway. So. Right. <clears throat> so when we go back to the idea of the objectivity of beauty, what we're seeing is uh, beauty should be, should be recognized outside of the seer, the perceiver. So beauty is not located in the eye of the beholder. Now, there are certain things, it's a more complicated argument because there's certain, you have to go through the, the senses. There is perception and our perception can have trouble kind of understanding uh, things, not just through sight, but uh, our mind. We, we have barriers to truth, our sinfulness. We don't have the perspective. We may not understand things. Um, not all the information comes through our senses. So we are barred from knowing truth completely. We don't deny that as people uh, of the book, of the Bible. What we're saying, though, is we have no reason to believe that objective truth and objective beauty does not exist outside of us. In fact, it seems very clear that it would be out there. So how do we judge what is, is beautiful? <clears throat> In fact, you know, God tells us whatever is lovely think about such things whatever is admirable and so he is claiming that these things are <clears throat> and i think when it comes to beauty when we see that it's objective and we check ourselves and say i should see beauty in other places that's when we actually see beauty in places where we maybe different didn't see and like i said that becomes the more inclusive position uh, to take the truly inclusive position uh, to take now how do Mike, you just so you know Remember what we were talking about with Twitter before? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I got a tweet to show you after. Yeah, all right. Uh, tw Twitter just keeps devolving. <laughs> Twitter is the uh, yes, the bane of our society. I'm um, sorry, but I just didn't want to forget. But in truth, social media and all of its forms have not made us jerks. We were always jerks. Yeah, we're just able to, to right. make it clear better. Which is kind of an interesting question, not to get too far off the off the uh, the rails here, but <clears throat> I've always thought technology in general whether it be informational technology or even technology like roads or engineering or anything like that, that those really aren't the, the beginnings of movements. They only enhance movements. They can be like gasoline on a fire. But to say, for instance, like the Middle East is just about oil. No, there's other things going on. The oil aspect makes it different. And not to, you know, no pun intended, but gas on a fire kind of thing. <coughs> So, Which we're not recommending that people do yeah. throw gas on fires. So uh, just there's something to think about when we tend to either make technology our savior or to make it the devil is to let us let us off the hook. Yeah. Right? There are bigger movements that are that are going around. I mean, even evolution was a theory for the time. Right. In a very real way. Which then got used yeah. for social Darwinism. For all sorts of nasty stuff. And I think still today it, we reap the. Uh, the ramifications of that. So how do we judge beauty then? I would argue that it's tied to morality. So if you saw a picture, and not to be uh, too uh, 
shock jock here, but a picture of a brutal rape and then a picture of a fireman carrying down a baby from a, a burning building. I think everybody in their right mind would say one is beautiful and one is ugly, right? And so there is a morality tied to, tied to that. Uh, people have have done studies on this that, uh, you know, the it's a myth to think that uh, women are attractive to the bad boys and the uh, men are attractive to wild girls, at least not for their spouses. They, they want something pure and yearning. Even, you know, even think about like mob movies where there's just all sorts of just disastrous sort of sin going on personally and corporately, that there's still this, this sense of uh, honesty, honor, brotherhood, all of these kinds of things, that we are attractive to what is moral. We even may maybe take it a step further and say that we tend to be attractive to uh, things that are symmetrical, um, that there's an order to them, right? The order may be very complicated and look like chaos, but there's still an order to that. Think like of a complicated mosaic. Um, even looking at faces, doing studies and people tend to be more attractive and are more trustworthy of people who's, you know, uh, if you draw a line down the middle of their face, that things are equal like that. You know, if you got an eyeball, that's like, uh, you know, a, a half an inch higher on one side or the other. You it know? used to always bother me. <clears throat> you know, I'm a little OCD ish as it yeah. is, but, um, not like clinically, I'm not diminishing like mm -hmm. legit clinical OCD, but, um, like my pinky fingers, this one from hockey got mm -hmm. bent. You see, it's yeah, bent yeah. more. And then <clears throat> like to work out to try to make your right <laughs> arm the exact same size as your left arm. And yeah. So we are, we <coughs> are kind of attracted to that sort of stuff. And, and there's something connected to order. There's something connected to morality. Now you may be say, but there's great works of art that talk, uh, talk about, uh, that, uh, depict, uh, awful scenes or whatever. Well, those are shocking precisely because we understand there's a right and a wrong. And the ones that, that are really shocking and meaningful, us, meaningful to us point out injustices, right? And they're only injustices and they're only um, poignant to us and they're only beautiful to us because we understand that there is an ideal that we are going for. And so <clears throat> when we think about beauty, I think it does have a an apologetic uh, uh, advantage, or I should say it's a good tactic to use for, for when you're talking about artists and stuff like that, that why are we attracted to these things? Why do we generally accept that there's beauty? Why do we insist that we are more inclusive and in seeing beauty in different places? And, and who sets these rules kind of thing, this order? And I think it's, it's, again, not a home run, but there is an avenue to talk about the existence of God to that. And that God in the Bible is very much about beauty, that you think the beauty of the temple for the sake of beauty, right? Not everything in the temple had a theological symbolism to it, other than this was a special place and this was, was beautiful. And when we think of iconoclasms, we, we generally think about those as bad things, uh, when we think about freedom um, and we and we see people uh, uh, censorship of art, we generally not everybody, but we generally think about that as a bad thing. And so there, there's a lot of avenues to talk about God, especially, especially the Christian God who became man and has redeemed this place and given it to us as a gift. 
uh, uh, to talk uh, to non-Christians about Christianity. What you got something to add about beauty or you, you're good. I was just testing if I know how to upload the podcast episodes <laughs> and uh, I think I did it, but I can't listen to it to see if it worked. Peter, uh, Peter told me to save it. He said, yeah. save it and then I'll look and then you can do it. But guess what Ben and Peter are doing today? Working. Yeah, they, they're so selfish with these jobs. Well, and they're putting everybody in danger yeah. by going around. And Although probably, they, they, they do ed tech, so they're technically really, helping. Really needed right now. <laughs> yeah, they're helping society greatly. But So you don't think Peter and Ben are just going around touching doorknobs? At, at probably not, but now my concern is maybe I shouldn't have done this, but I just kind of wanted to test it without bothering him. Mm-hmm. But if I didn't do it right, um, Ben is gonna mock me. You know, you know how, but he's not mean mocking. It's not direct. But you know how he'll be in Telegram, like that'll be fine. Wait, That's don't fine. you know how to do this? And then Peter will be disappointed that I, because Peter's very particular about stuff. Mm-hmm. But do you approve of me just trying it? And if it's not perfect, we. Oh, I think I think uh, your efforts are beautiful. Thank and you. action can be beautiful. And so there's an episode that just went up. If it doesn't work, uh, we'll take it down and fix it. <clears throat> but I'm sorry, what were you asking me? Uh, just anything to add about beauty in particular that you wanted to add? No, I, I think what you said was good, Mike. <laughs> this is more my thing than it, than yeah. it is your thing. I like beauty. <laughs> yeah. And I think, uh, well, I think you, you and I both, me probably more so to the visual arts, but you more for like poetry and, and prose um, the the art the the uh, if we can turning literature into art uh, that some uh, a piece of literature can be beautiful even if it points out um, the heinousness of humanity. Yeah, Dostoevsky. Right? Yeah. yeah, and so <clears throat> so I think take this as beyond just the the, the visual arts that um, uh, the, the written word is, is a part of this as well. Um, you, should, you should, Mike, uh, not let me have my computer or phone out when we do this. Cause it, <laughs> yeah, it's like a classroom experience where I like, put your <laughs> phone you away. Don't you feel like you're in the class and yeah, I'm one of the students? Put your, put your phone away. You know? Wade, you're clearly not paying attention. Wade, you're gonna, I'm going to mark you as absent here, yeah. Um, I would go so far as to say that our emotions should be judged um, objectively as well. So now we're not saying, okay, uh, you know, I got to skip around uh, all the time and somehow that is a better depiction of happiness than the person who is more subdued. Um, we mourn in different ways. In fact, uh, American mourning at funerals is, seems to be quite shallow, actually, compared to other cultures. Are you listening to uh, Are you listening to uh, Alabama Shakes? No, you know what I say? So you, you caught me. I put my iPhone headphone under my uh, <laughs> under my headphone for for this. And uh, is it working? I'm sorry, Mike. Is I'm, not being, a, I'm not being a very good sport. It is working. Okay, excellent. It's up. Right. So Philosophy 201 has a podcast up. So Philosophy 202 students, you can look for something similar. Excellent. All right. Are you proud of me? I am. So I would say that emotions again can be judged objectively <laughs> even you just though. said something really funny and the one i'm listening to. i'll stop now okay <laughs> now we can mourn differently that may look differently but i use this silly example that okay let's say i have a um a boy 
Uh, he's five years old, and I tuck him into bed at night in his little race car bed. This is your boy, I take this it. This is not my like, boy. Just I a don't actually kid. have a boy. This is this is if I had a if I had a son. And, it's Ziggy. I've lent you Ziggy. Okay, <clears throat> I'm gonna let's let's imagine that Ziggy is my son, and he's five years old, and I've tucked him into bed, and I saying Jesus loves me. This I know with him. Oh, he used to love that son. And then I go out to. Um, I go out into the living room and my wife has started a movie and we're watching. It's like a mob movie, like really violent and whatever. Uh, Amanda likes violent and movies. And then, um, so <clears throat> let's just say it's, um, let's just say it's one of the Godfathers, right? And uh, the boy, I, there's the scene where the the horse's head is in the bed, right? It's like a disturbing. I've never seen scene. Godfather, but it, that sounds disturbing. Disturbing scene. And <clears throat> as I look up, I see that he's standing on the corner of the hallway in the living room and he's looking at it. And I jump up and I go, "This uh, this kid's gonna have nightmares for years. We're probably gonna have to take him to a, a therapist." And by the but before I can get there, he points at the television screen and says, and laughs, ha, 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 right? That now I know I got to take him to a psychologist, right? And I rightfully say that's the wrong emotion for that situation. And it's precisely because there's a right and a wrong. And that's not the, the emotion he should have. So that piece of that movie, that's a piece of art says something right and so it can be beautiful but the 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 emotion that it brings out can be wrong it can be immoral yeah and that um, sounds like ziggy that sounds well we should use nicholas for that yeah that's for that example <clears throat> um so what we're saying here is that these are avenues to talk about objectivity and when you talk about objectivity then then you're already in a uh you're in a contingency argument or a moral argument for the existence of God. Now, how do you bring Christ into this? Because as we said before, <clears throat> these arguments don't get us to Yahweh. They don't get us to Christ. They just get us to some objective, objective force being something, particularly a person, a mind, we would say, but maybe not even that for some people. Christ dies on the cross and it's a very ugly scene, purposely <clears throat> ugly and heinous for that Greco-Roman world. And yet we call it Good Friday, and we use this picture as jewelry and paintings. Why? <clears throat> it's because God says it was good, right? And so now we're in a question of the theology of the cross. And the theology of the cross offers an epistemology for us. And the epistemology is this. What you see, even though it looks good, may be evil, and what you call evil actually can be good. So we think about our good works that are so nice and everything's beautiful and wonderful, but if they work against faith, we start to trust ourselves for salvation instead of trusting in Jesus. Those good works that look good are actually bad. So the epistemological lesson from the theology of the cross is, how do you know? Well, you know, because God said so. That's doesn't, that doesn't go against reason. We're not saying we're always wrong. In fact, in fact, many times we are right. What we're saying is that reason, when it bumps up to the revelation of God, we have to go by God. And that is, is actually quite reasonable. He's got a better perspective. He's got more information. Um, we uh, tend to look at facts 
and twist them to fit our own worldview, to uh, twist them to fit our own desire for self-justification. We will make th- we will make ourselves look good in every situation. It's what drives kind of our partisan politics, right? We want to be right. We want to be justified and we will ignore the truth. So for God to say, this is beautiful, even though it looks ugly, that's where now we get into the theology of the cross's lesson of suffering. That what is bad, my cancer, my diabetes, um, whatever, actually could be good if and only if God uses it for the benefit of my faith. And then we have the promises of Romans 8 there that he will use all things for our benefit. So St. Paul can rightfully rejoice in his sufferings, right? So there, it's a full circle kind of thing in beauty when somebody who does not have that hope, that theology of the cross, has no meaning for suffering, then what is seemingly ugly or bad is at best meaningless or it's just kind of our lot in life and there's nothing we can do about it. <clears throat> but if we have an objective sense of beauty and of right and wrong and of truth, plus a savior who says, I make what is ugly beautiful, then we can see beauty and suffering. We can see uh, we're more likely then to have compassion for those who are suffering. I mean, there's a lot of ramifications here. And so the Christian worldview, even when it's talking about beauty and emotion, kind of closes the circle for us. And that, I think, is is very helpful. Um, I don't know if we want to do love and uh, or maybe go to Shalom. I think maybe I'll go to Shalom right here. Um, Shalom is a a Hebrew concept. It often gets translated into English as peace. I mean, they're both used in the same way, like a greeting, Shalom, uh, peace to your house. And Uh, even in Islam. Salam, yeah. Yeah, it's a similar. And um, Shalom, um, at its root, means wholeness. You can think about it as well-being. It does get translated into English usually as peace, but there are other times when it maybe uh, has a connotation of security or prosperity. So I would argue that there's four main components. I'll start with three, three main components to shalom, certain amount of security, certain amount of prosperity, and a certain amount of freedom. You're not going to have a good whole life if you are in prison, freedom. If you are scrambling just to find enough food to survive, prosperity. If you are uh, you are in fear of a sniper fire, um, security, and so you need those three components. I think a good way to think about shalom two two good ways to think about shalom. Shalom is the way it's supposed to be. Um, and sin, in a theological sense, is the way it's not supposed to be. You may think about peacetime versus wartime. It's very hard for us Americans to think about it, but right now in this pandemic, we kind of sort of can get a taste of it. Uh, peacetime is when the economy is rolling, when people are working, when universities are doing research, when there's, you, you're not afraid to send your kids to school. It's never going to be theater. Yeah. It's never going to be perfect. Entertainment, sports, those are, those things are, are flourishing. Um, wartime is when you are, people are hoarding (laughs) toilet paper (laughs) when, 
when you can't get a loaf of bread for a decent price. People are literally wrestling over yeah. a carton when, of when hand you sanitizer. Can't, you can't send your kids out because you don't know if there's going to be a suicide bomb or that kind of thing. Now, there's no such thing as perfect shalom this side of heaven. We get that. But we can understand the difference between peacetime and wartime. So it's more than just the peace as in a cessation of armed conflict. And shalom never wasn't curved inward toward like internal peace. It was always an outside peace. So even Jeremiah speaking to the exiles uh, and uh, going to Babylon said, work for the shalom of the city that you live in. Uh, plant your vineyards, have your families, educate your kids, that kind of stuff. So when we think about shalom, we should also think about the Greek term eudaimonia or oidaimonia, it gets pronounced in uh, different ways, which is often translated as happiness in, uh, in English. But that term happiness kind of gets lost in, in modern usage because it, seem, it seems as a, a personal euphoria, almost like a hedonistic, try to get as much uh, pleasure and least amount of pain. It's a feeling, and that feeling often is going to be, um, is often going to be, um, it's often going to be fleeting. You know, I, we've often said, like, uh, happiness is something you look back upon or look forward to. It's very rarely that you feel happy in the mo moment. It's not that you're not happy. It's just you're too busy being happy to ask yourself the question if you're happy or not. So when our American forefathers wrote our founding documents, they put in the phrase, everybody has the pursuit, everybody has the right to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. But they did not mean that personal euphoria, that feeling. They meant oidaimonia. And I think both shalom, happiness, and uh, oidaimonia can be rightfully translated as flourishing, human flourishing. Now, what does this have to do with apologetics? Well, number one, we all agree that humans should flourish, right? Like we want people to flourish. We, we recognize other people flourishing is good for us. Even. Yeah. And we generally <coughs> see somebody who is just surviving as something that is a tragic life. I, I like and even Hobbes, who is a not a Christian philosopher by any means, um, says the people you have to fear most are those who essentially aren't flourishing, right? The fringes of society become very dangerous when you're walking down the street um, and you see the the hungry, homeless man talking to himself and kind of go, you feel antsy for a reason. Um, so human flourishing poses a, a danger to all of us. It, it pushes people to extremes. And so if there is this general idea that humans should flourish and we, and we strive for that, one question that comes up is, well, that makes us different than the squirrels. Like we've said this, the squirrels don't get together and say, we should form a union. The squirrels don't sit out in the night sky and wonder what it would like to go to the moon. The squirrels don't, uh, uh, you know, the squirrels don't try to justify themselves in their existence like we do. No squirrel said, you know, does my butt look big in this outfit, right? Uh, squirrels don't gossip, That'd be funny, you know, though. that kind of stuff. It would be hilarious. And that's why, you know, those cartoons that, you know, make the squirrel or the animals look human are hilarious. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> So that is one of the points that makes this different than the animal kingdom. And what's a better explanation for that, that we're just simply more evolved animals or that we were created in the image of God and made for epicness, made for greatness, made for drama. As we know, if we don't have drama in our lives, we'll make it up. We, we have a sense of importance, and I think that can be described as flourishing. And that, I think, would lead us to the fourth point of shalom or flourishing, and that would be 
purpose. We need a reason to get out of bed in the morning. And this is where the doctrine of vocation is so very helpful. So this seems to be that humans are different, that we desire and strive for something better and great. And if I am just a person who has not really thought about theology or whatever, and I'm just kind of muddling through life, I will eventually ask myself, what is the good life? What is the highest good? Um, how shall I act towards each other? What is my value? What is my purpose in the world? Everyone has a philosophy of life. It's just most people's is a, kind of a, a soft hedonism. Yeah. And so um, hedonism doesn't, as we've said in a previous podcast, doesn't really have a, a mechanism for forgiveness. It doesn't really have a whole lot to do. It can try to work in sacrifice. It doesn't have a constancy. Yeah, pa- and it, pleasures it are passing. And it doesn't really, it, it has no way to describe evil and pain and suffering other than it's something to be eradicated. Right. And if, if life is to have meaning, well, then so should the bad parts about life, right? So should... So, so the the things that have to do you know what um, school was really helpful on this thing? Uh, the stoics, uh, the stoics yeah, yeah. they i i i i am attracted to stoicism too i just i think there's some flaws in it we'll I, talk about something we're gonna have yeah. a battle royale like we did about the eucharistic prayer about stoicism um so shalom is is shalom this concept a good enough proof for the existence of god you know, it's it's maybe it's a discussion starter, right? It seems to me that the Christian worldview seems to answer these questions, the questions of what is the highest good? How do we put pain and suffering and sacrifice into this philosophy of life? Why do we even have a why do we even have a desire for flourishing in the first place? Why are we concerned with others that they're not flourishing? Is it just a selfish thing that this flour- <coughs> their non-flourishing is going to affect my attempt at flourishing. And so there's a, there's a lot going on there. And I think that uh, worldviews that don't really have a good concept of the goodness of, of creation as a gift, that there is love that often is going to be worked up into sacrifice, displayed as sacrifice, um, a worldview that cannot give meaning to evil, uh, such as Christians can with the theology of the cross, does not seem to be super compatible with with our reality and our existence, and quite frankly, not that attractive when you think about it. And so this is one way to start to say the Christian worldview has something to offer here, and in fact, it fits the data um, better than than other places. You know, another thing about is contentment. I thought a lot about this lately is, you know, am I supposed to be content as a Christian? Yes. Um, And no, I should not be content with injustice. I should not be content with death. Um, my righteousness, uh, my discontent is often very righteous. And there's a lot of angst in the world. There's a lot of discontent. Why are you discontent? Well, because you were made for something better. You were made for something epic. And you were made for something more than just this death. All of these are conversations that can be had in an apologetic sense. Um, I don't know how much more I want to go. There is a lot more here I'd like like to talk about, uh, uh, including love. Maybe I can just go through the four loves just really quick. Not that it, it's necessarily uh, an apologetic argument per se, but it's a part of part of the uh, of the equation. Uh, we we've often said that the English word. Many other people, of course, have said this too. That the English word love is kind of deficient. It doesn't really describe things. So I say I love 
my favorite sports team, and I love my children. And uh, what is your favorite sports team? St. Louis Cardinals. I mean, across sports, you only get to pick one. Yeah, probably the Cardinals. Yeah, I respect that. I was just curious. Tied with the Michigan Wolverines. But that's multiple sports, I suppose. Right, so that's that is hard. I would say the Cardinals. That's one. That's the one I pay attention to every single day if I can. Yours. It's sad. It's going to be a sad answer. Lions. It's Lions. Yeah, it's the Lions. I get it. It's all right. I mean, you you need you, lions than the tigers. I mean, if anybody is going to be a theologian of the cross, right? Yeah. In the Greek language, there's multiple words that could be translated <coughs> as love. I'll concentrate on four: eros, philos, storge, and agape. Eros is the love of attraction. Think about the love of opposites, like a man and a woman. It is physical. It can be sexual, and that's how we normally use the word eros. Is where we get the word erotic. But you can have a eros for war in the Greek concept. It, it is a passion. It is a desire. Um, philos, if, if eros is the love of opposites, then philos is the love of similars. This is kind of friendship, but it can be very deep. It can be extremely Is that what deep. we have, Mike? Yeah. And, Thank you. Um, and, but it can be... The difference between a philos love and later agape love is you can put it down and pick it back up again. Like if we didn't see each other for a week, we'd be okay. But we can't do that. I would that. miss you, though. Yeah, I'd miss you, too. But we we couldn't, it, we can't put down our wives like that because we'd be a part of us we're missing because the two have become <clears> one <throat> flesh. Would you say out of me, Peter, and Ben, who do you have the most fillos for? And that's the thing with fillos love. I don't have to, I don't have to <coughs> do that. Yeah, that's true. Because friendship is a circle and yeah. you want it to be ever expanding. And and it's it's not immoral to say, okay, I'm not friends with the person that I was friends with in fifth grade. Right. right, but it would be immoral for me to say, you know what, my wife Amanda, I don't really, you know, it's over. But if you do have more fillos for me than Peter, just kind of maybe wink a little. <laughs> oh man, I'm like how I'm are you not blinking? Get, yeah, all right, go ahead. Out. Sorry, but the the fillos love can be deep too. Like we we say, uh, many people have said this too. Like if if you if you said. Um, you know, Mike, I need to bury something. I'll be like, I'll bring the shovel. No questions asked. Yeah. But the Phyllis thing is also about something. So it's, yeah. it, our friendship isn't just that you like each other personally. You have common interests. You have shared interests and <laughs> yeah. stuff. And, and you can pick it back up. So, you I mean, you and I both have friends that from high school or college or whatever, that we have seen each other for 10 years. And we, and when we get back together, we, we, uh, pick up right where we left off yep. with the same stupid jokes yep. or whatever. And, and, and it's, and it's a beautiful thing. Agape, our storge love, I, I think it's kind of the love of duty. Often it's translated affection, but I kind of like the sense of duty. Like you're going to go visit great grandmother in the a nursing home, not right now, but uh, in the nursing home on a Saturday morning. You don't really want to do it, um, but you do it and it's still love, but it's a kind of duty love. In, in the Greek concept, well, it it's was, also, it's not a chosen, mm-hmm. like the people for whom you have affection, who are yeah. your families. You didn't choose your kids or your parents, but... Yeah. That affection grows out of the familiarity. Yeah. And so uh, in, in the Greek concept, often this would be used to describe you have a love for your ancestors by keeping their memory alive. Maybe we could think about keeping like an immigrant uh, tradition alive in a new country kind of thing, that that kind of love love of duty. Duty is maybe too strong, but I think uh, uh, the, the love uh, a soldier has for his country, I think, could fall into this category. And then there's agape love that this is self-sacrificing love, but it's also the love that always has the, the best interest 
of the object of love in mind. So a parent may be the bad guy to the, to the child. Um, certainly it is the love of Christ on the cross, of course. And it's a love that we can't, we can't muster up ourselves, but it is given to us and then through us to other people. And it's the basis, hopefully, of all of the other loves. In fact, if the other loves are not based on agape, things are going to uh, turn bitter often or they're going to be fleeting. So just the fact that we're talking about love and just the fact that we can divide this up, just the fact that books have been written about this, seems to say that there is such a thing called love and that you can't locate that just in the uh, uh, electrical currents of the brain or the chemicals of the body, that there's something else out there. And so a <coughs> worldview that doesn't have, that doesn't believe in a soul cannot sit, use soul terms like love, courage, those kinds of things. Um, it seems better that there would be not only a God, but a God of love, right? And so when you start to look at the, like that. the Christian worldview that um, there there's something going on here that explains my desires, explains poetry, explains how I feel when I look at my, yeah, all of these kinds of things where if it's just random stuff, it's very difficult to explain <coughs> that. And we'll get this later when I get to the new atheist on again, how some people try to explain this and say, well, this is just a, a part of evolution. And it had a, a, this, it's not, it's just the way evolution worked. We call it love, but we, as we all know, it's just biological impulses. And I just don't think that's a very good explanation for what I feel. Um, when I, <clears throat> when I held my baby girls in the hospital when they were born or those kinds of things. So anyway, I, was that good enough? You think that was pretty good? Um, I liked it. You know, I mean, there's, there is more to go that, go down that road, but I, I think, uh, our students will get, uh, some of that from the reading and, um, have their own thoughts too. Um, wish I could have a discussion with all of them in the classroom. Um, but alas, we must suffer here, but there'll be good that comes out of that too. Guess what we just got. What did we just get? An email saying we are online for sure for the whole semester now. All right. So there we Commencement are. Commencement will be in August. Really? Yep. All right. Hey, it's all right. We'll survive. Moving parts. Lots of moving parts. It's okay. We may survive. I have a better chance than you. You have much better chance. Because you're kind of sickly. And I'm, that is very true. I'm, I'm stronger. You may have a stronger will than I do. But no, physically you are in a lot better shape. Not by much. Not by much. Well, you're not asthmatic. Wade took a picture of me at a meeting, unbeknownst to me, and put it, uh, shared it on the interwebs. Not, not to everybody. Just because Dr. Burke is wearing a very nice shirt. I today. wear a very nice shirt today, and uh, he shared that picture with me. And I was sitting down, and I was aghast at how fat I looked. Maybe I should do something about that. Not going to happen this week. You can't week really go to the gym, though, because Because we're going to be sitting for hours and hours and hours recording. We can go for a walk in a so park. We could do that. I can't. I will not be able to hold your hand because of the coronavirus. I said you could go, but I'm oh, glad you want me to go, too. <laughs> for your own health. We'll walk six feet apart. That's right. All right. Hey, until next time, let the bird fly.